big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons, Katie, Emily and Ivy. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to our notes, outtakes and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now enjoy this week's episode covering the sixth and final part of the 1995 adaptation of Sense and Sensibility with our guest, Caroline Minx. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here actually this time to finish talking about the 1995 Sense and Sensibility. I realized that last episode I said we were going to finish talking about it, but that wasn't true. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that this is the actual last episode about this movie, the one written by Emma Thompson, directed by Ang Lee, starring Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Ellen Rickman, and Kate Winslet, and everybody in Harry Potter. I almost just said Anne Colin Firth. Honestly, I had the exact same thought in my head. It's because he, Colin Firth just is a presence in every Jane Austen movie, even if he's not in it. And I mean, everyone else is in this movie. Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> right, exactly. I was going to say, though, honestly, he would have played a very good Mr. Palmer, but Hugh Laurie is the best Mr. Palmer. Hugh Laurie is so funny. We are going to talk about Hugh Laurie in this episode, and I am obsessed with him, like, so much so that I might start watching House MD. I have not watched that since it was on, and I didn't watch much of it, but, and it was one of those shows where I'm like, I can't tell if this is good or just he's good. And I think the answer is just he's good. He's good. It's very addicting, and, like, you, like, start to care about the characters, but it's addicting in that sort of, like, mid-2000s TV kind of way. Now everything's good on TV, Yeah. but back in the <laughs> mid-2000s, there were, like, four good TV shows and then like a lot of dishy stuff. And House MD was dishy with some good actors on it and a lot of chemistry with the characters. So like you cared. And Olivia Wilde. Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry, I just had a the gayest moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was visceral. We needed to pause for that. <sighs> moment of silence for Olivia Wilde. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So should we talk about this movie? Well, first we should introduce our guest. One oh my more god, time. you're so right. You're so. Right. I'm just here talking, and people are like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> well, listeners, if you are joining us for the first time for some reason, our guest today is Caroline Minx, who was also on our last episode. Hello, Caro. Hello. If you're chiming in for this one, I'm sorry, but hi, I'm really gay a lot. Um, <laughs> 
So you pretty much got all you need to know about me right away. Yeah, there it is. If you want to know a little bit about Caro's work, you can go listen to our last episode, which I would recommend you do anyway, because there's just a lot of context in this point in the movie that like you should just listen to this episode last of all the movie episodes. That's my recommendation to you. Yeah, though I would like I would like to see someone decide to listen to our podcast for the first time and choose an episode at random just for shits and gigs. Just like pick pick this one. Pick the end of Sense and Sensibility, the film. I'm going to tell a friend of mine who doesn't listen to this show to do that and just report back. All right. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Perfection. So listeners, we are nearing the end. We're at the finish line. And where we just left off is Eleanor and Edward have said goodbye. They have had a heartbreaking little moment and we are sad. It was awful. So, so bad. And now... The Dashwoods are leaving London and going to the Palmer's house at Cleveland, which I couldn't remember for the life of me where it was when I was typing my notes. I just kept saying the Palmer's house. We literally asked people to send us recommendations of places to eat in Cleveland, Ohio, based on this. I know. It was a long time ago. Fun fact about me is that I've never lived further than 30 minutes from where I was born, which I know is like kind of pathetic and I want to remedy that before I die. But the one time that I did live further than 30 minutes was when I was two years old for six months, we lived, I'm pretty sure this is true, moved a little bit outside of Cleveland. Oh, where? Do you do you know the name of the town? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, you were two. Yeah, literally all I remember about my time in Ohio, because I was two, uh, is playing Peter Pan with the girl next door. And I always wanted to be Michael because I guess gender, even back then. Um, and I remember the wallpaper in my room and I remember being given a frozen Milky Way. Mm. That's all I've got. That's my entire time in Cleveland. I used to go to the suburbs of Cleveland quite a bit. And that's because I had family there. So I was just asking because I was like, oh, I know this movie theater that I used to go to on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Ohio feels like a fake place. Just it doesn't feel like a real place. And like we joke that Ohio is like fake and cursed. But I'm like, I did live there. But also, did I? But like, are you also fake and fake cursed? Fake and cursed. Yeah. So, hey, listeners, if you want to help Caro uh, figure out where Ohio is, I suggest <laughs> you tweet at them with some theories about whether or not Ohio is actually real. Yes, at Saucy Minx. Oh, and while you're at it, you should listen to What Will Be Here. It's an excellent podcast where Ohio doesn't exist anymore. <gasps> yeah, uh, What Will Be Here is really good. I do their transcripts and I'm not listening ahead. So I'm, I'm learning the story as I do the transcripts and my heart keeps getting broken so oh it's really good though anyway is it really about ohio not existing it's not about that but that is a that is a joke that kind of continues and in in the discord there's like like half the jokes that we put in the discord are just like ohio is not real wow i'm really i'm really curious now if any of our listeners are from ohio which i know that at least some of you are are you real they're not real they're cursed are you a ghost let us know. Interesting. We'll have to report back on that. But speaking of heartbreak. Speaking of Cleveland. Marianne. <laughs> yes. So, okay. The plot from this point on just tumbles. It's like snowballing out of control. Like we're just, we're just going. So we arrive in Cleveland and Brandon has followed them on horseback. This is when Mike, when we were watching it, turned to us and went, huh. So Brandon's just like a peach, isn't he? The peachiest. He is just, he is the peach cobbler of a man. He is. Actually, that's kind of his hair color in this movie. Got a peach cobbler. It is. That is true. It's golden brown. It's ready to come out of the oven. Ready to. (laughs) I really want peach cobbler now. 
Oh, shit. Yeah. I have a very good peach cobbler recipe. We can call it Brandon's Peach Cobbler or something. Anyway, Peachy Cobbler. Peachy. Wait, there's a Colonel Cobbler. Peachy Colonel. (laughs) So, okay. So we're riding to Cleveland in the carriage. And the whole time, Mrs. Palmer is like talking about how like, Willoughby sucks and they're they're gonna plant some tall trees to block the view of his estate from their house and Marianne's like view of his estate and and Mr. Palmer turns to her and is like you'll do no such thing and then <laughs> we zoom no, out the exact line is him looking at his paper and going you will do nothing of the sort <laughs> I love him so much I love him so much he is like I am in this mess and I am never getting the fuck out (laughs) and what's amazing about him is that he took a character that was like kind of a nothing character in the book and made him one of the most endearing characters in cinema yes like I actually I I literally I I saw the movie before I read the book actually um because the movie came out what movie what year did this movie come out 1995 yeah so so I was pretty young um and I saw it like right when it came out but yeah, I, I saw the movie before the book came out. Or no, I saw the movie before I read the book. The book had come out a while before. The movie <laughs> came out when I was, before I read the book. And I thought Mr. Palmer was a much bigger role. I assumed that there was a lot of Mr. Palmer that got cut. And so when I read the book, I was like, where's my dude? Like, right? <laughs> oh my God, all the bits with the baby where he's just like, Ugh. Like, it's at how Mrs. Palmer is so oblivious to the fact that, like, her husband's kind of a dick. Yeah, she's so oblivious. He's delightful. I love his, like, genuine soft spot for Eleanor so much. Like, he's a nice guy. He just, he did marry maybe the worst possible choice for his personality. For sure. You know, it's interesting because if you read the book, I I say this all the time now, it's that, like, you see Lady Middleton have all this disdain for John Middleton and her sister was married to a guy with a ton of disdain for her. And I'm like, why didn't they just swap? Mm-hmm. Honestly, wife swap, baby. Exactly. But yeah, that is one of my favorite moments. All of the Mr. Palmer moments are my favorite. After he says that thing, we zoom out and we see the carriage like trundling along the countryside. And then Mrs. Palmer immediately like hard shifts into talking about Miss Gray's wedding dress. And I'm like, read the room. Then they arrive and Marianne is like, I'm going to go for a walk. And Eleanor is like, gonna rain and Marianne's like it's not gonna rain and Eleanor says you always, always say, say that, that and it always, always does, does. <laughs> there are so many callbacks in this section to things that happened earlier and that is the first one which I love and she says she's not gonna go far and then there's this shot <laughs> where it looks like she's walking through the maze in the fourth Harry Potter movie like there's like <laughs> wild hedges and she's just like walking and she looks like she's running from something you're like waiting for like some like watery tart to come out and give her a sword you know what I mean quite honestly this is uh depressed breakup goals this scene I want to be that aesthetically pleasing when I'm going through heartbreak yeah don't you want to put on a cape and like go with your curly hair that's perfectly clothed looking like Kate Winslet just dramatically in the rain on the moors the devastating pale like anguish on her reciting Shakespeare at the home of your beloved oh no it is an ever fixed mark the use of that sonnet in this movie is so smart it is a really good that is a really good choice yeah because it's how they see each other those two it's also it's one of those things that can be very funny if you're looking at it one way you're like oh she's so dramatic ha 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 but like no this girl went through the fucking ringer like and it's really and I think in the hands of a lesser actor I was gonna say 
Because Kate Winslet really sells it. Yeah, you really, you feel with her as she's staring at Willoughby's estate and she's just drenched and devastated. She's so hurt. And it is so sad because like, I, I think the thing with Marianne where it's like, almost like she expresses herself so much. Like she gets everything out of her system, right? To the point where, like, sometimes it is to her detriment. Like, she does feel things so much and has to express them all of the time the minute she feels them. And she, of course, learns how to kind of control that a little bit. But the thing that's kind of healthy that she does is she expresses herself. Yeah. And it's like, girl, sometimes you've got to go to the moors and you got to cry about it in the rain. You need to have your... That's why we have, like, sad music. That's why when we're, like... Going through the rough time, we put on that fucking playlist. Oh, yeah. We dim the lights, put on the playlist, put on the comfy pants. <laughs> Get the ice cream. Mm-hmm. But this is why, like, also, as a Shakespeare nerd. Yes. yes. That is, it's so beautiful that she is able to find the words in something that at one time connected them and brought them joy. And then she gets this whole entire shift in the meaning of them to, like, the other side of those lines of, poetry and knowing that emma thompson you know wrote like obviously a shakespearean actor like it's so clear that someone who understands shakespeare wrote this entire thing not just that bit it's like no someone who understands shakespeare and how it works and like knows how to use shakespeare very effectively wrote this whole script absolutely yeah and i I'm a Shakespeare nerd too, so this is fun. For Yay, me. three Shakespeare nerds in a room together. Yeah, it it it's so satisfying because it like that, and that's also I think why so much of this movie feels like that particular version of Much Ado is about to happen any minute now. Like it has it has kind of some of those um, those beats that feel very much like that, and that also has just that Emma Thompson thumbprint. But that moment in particular, it's like yeah, someone who understands Shakespeare understands how to use Shakespeare effectively, even for people who maybe don't like or understand Shakespeare, which is a whole other skill set. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a whole other skill set that is so impressive because I don't necessarily have that. She absolutely does. And it's a beautiful moment because it's like, again, it could be so overdone and so melodramatic to the point where it's like soap opera and kind of funny. And it stays just this side of that. Yeah. It works so well. (laughs) Such a good scene. Speaking of being funny, though, interspersed with her walking in the rain is Mr. Palmer holding his baby and Mrs. Palmer being like, oh, yes, he's so good with the child. And Mr. Palmer just like, and it's like he's holding it positively like a muddy football. The nanny is like, he's going to drop the baby. (laughs) That nanny was like, just uh, uh, she was so stressed. Mrs. Bunting deserves the world. First, She really does. Also, the baby Thomas has one of his socks is just like dangling off in the side. And it's like, (laughs) I just like was noticing Mr. Palmer holding him and he's crying and the baby's sock is just like flapping around in the wind. (laughs) Also, they chose like an extremely cute baby. (laughs) I think all babies are cute. I'm like that. But like, that is a really cute baby. (laughs) It is a very cute baby. (laughs) My favorite part was Mrs. Palmer saying, I've never seen a child take to a father more. (laughs) And the baby's, like, sobbing. (laughs) And he makes this face, which, like, you might just have to post on our Instagram where he just goes, 
yeah. It's like he ate a lemon. <laughs> I feel like Mr. Palmer, though, very much is that person who, like, he is not good with those early years. But as soon as the kid is, like, talking, he's going to be such a good dad. Oh, he's going to be an awesome dad. He's going to be that dad that, like, talks to his kid like they're a person. I mean, you know who he's going to be, right? Mr. Bennett a little bit. Mr. Bennett. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> oh, oh, did that no. not do it? We just gave Molly the biggest happy moment. <laughs> Daddy Palmer. Daddy Palmer. Daddy Palmer. God. Wow. Whew. Palmer, I hardly know her. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very good. All right. So, okay. While this is all happening, Eleanor realizes that she can't see Marianne in the garden anymore, and Brandon runs outside looking for her. I want to point something out. When he's looking for her, he's not standing on um, the honorifics of the time. He doesn't call for Miss Marianne. He's just like, Marianne. He's in the urgency. Mm -hmm. Like he drops the, I don't, honorifics and things like that and the polite terms to call people. I don't genuinely know enough about uh, historically how that kind of worked. But the fact that in in an emergency situation where he is concerned about her, that even he kind of drops the decorum. Yes. It shows how concerned he is. It shows, even though he doesn't seem panicked, he is panicking. Because he's like, it's cold, it's raining, she's in distress, something's wrong. And then. Oh, and then. And then. And then. And then he picks her up and carries her back in the rain and and it is just like at the beginning when Willoughby carries her in the rain. Except this time the music's swelling and instead of her just having a little sprained ankle, she like can't move. She's in, she is in danger. And, and instead of him being the hero, everyone literally leaves him behind when they get her to another room. He is laughing. And he doesn't left. care. He just goes, he doesn't get care. her warm, get her warm. And he's just sitting there in like despair and exhaustion. Yeah, he's catching his breath because... He's probably, he care. who knows how far he carried her. And he already lost a lover to illness and just like feeling her ill body in his hands as he carries her back. The trauma Ooh. this man has been through. We're all like, we're heaving as as a collective. We're really flustered point. right now. There's we're two, on there's... Zoom and I'm going in and out of frame because I am Ugh. thrashing about like, a, like I'm a fucking shark I feel the like water. there's a screenshot here, Molly, that needs to happen because we're just like all, all right, here it goes, here it goes. Everyone look, everyone looks stressed. Everyone looks stressed. He just like, they play that moment so beautifully because so much is done in such a short time without a lot of words. And and he just, oh, the amount of despair and panic and fear and worry. And also, like, uh, Kate Winslet in that moment is out of it. Like, she's doing such a good job of acting like she is just not there. Like, so Marianne is just... She is gone. And Mr. Palmer comes through again and scoops her up and brings her away. And then we cut to the middle of the night when Eleanor comes down the hall and knocks on Mr. Palmer's door. And I am fully at this point shipping Eleanor and Mr. Palmer, but I know that's not the point. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Apparently they dated in real life. We got told this by our listeners. Yeah, Oh, and she said that he was a well-hung eel. (laughs) Sorry, I can't get it out. That, I love Emma Thompson so much. Emma... You come on the pod, but please, please do. But don't because like I can't handle it. Yeah, no, we can't. But so Mr. Palmer comes to the door and Emma Thompson, I meant Eleanor. Eleanor is like, I think Marianne needs a doctor. And you see him this like 
moment come over him where he's like, oh, fuck, I'm still asleep, but okay, okay. And then he's like, okay, now we're going into dad mode. And he's like, I'm going to go get a doctor. The way they do her up here, it gets full Victorian. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. My notes say I am so attracted to him in his fucking pirate shirt. <laughs> Listen, it's a good look. He also just, I love his curly. He looks so cute. He's styled very well in this, but he also just has a really good face and he lo- he has that kind of period face. He does. You know, like certain people kind of look out of time. He looks like a Regency era painting. He does. He, and he's a handsome guy anyway. So like when they style him that way, it's very flattering. And he's also like 11 feet tall and he, he, you know, he weighs nothing. So anything on him is just going to be like, if you put it on like a hanger, it's just going to look good. It's like, yeah, yeah, everything's nipped and tucked and you look like a fucking mannequin. Like, we get it. Because those suits were a situation. Sure were. There's a lot of ruffles to contend with. And the, like, flaps. And the sideburns. This is why I I would not look good in those suits or in those dresses because I am already fluffy and floofy as a human. (laughs) So I would just look like a fucking cupcake. (laughs) Like... It's not cute. I, I just, you know, like when Violet Beauregard, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's it's cute, but you got to roll me places because there's a lot of padding <laughs> and ruffles. So complete, complete left field side note. But this weekend with my friends, I played Cards Against Humanity and um, my friends were a little high. I was not because I was the DD uh, and I had to drive someone to the train station, but my friends were all a little high and we, <laughs> my one friend got the card <laughs> becoming a blueberry <laughs> And she couldn't stop laughing when she put it down. She was like, this is the perfect answer for this question. And I was like, that makes no sense. But she won because everybody else was high, too. Amazing. Uh, Cards Against Humanity is one of those games where it's like, this is an entire mess. Yeah. But I'm going to play it. Yep. Oh, yeah. What if Jane Austen Cards Against Humanity? But what if, though? Oh. I'm adding it to my notes. Perfect. (laughs) Jane Austen Cards Against Humanity Pack. So back to this extremely serious scene. Yes. Okay. So we've got the doctor coming the next day. Brandon is pacing back and forth and the doctor comes out and tells them it's an infectious fever and they should remove the child. And Imelda Staunton just like screams. This is fucking perfect. She is perfect. It's literally, it's literally the viper in my bosom cut where there's no time to process. She just fucking goes for it. Oh yeah, She's like, absolutely. information, panic. Like it is, there's no in between the getting the information and the processing. I can relate. I can relate. Yeah, same. I have a kid. I too would be screaming. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Well, also, this is the thing. Like, yes, obviously remove the child, but how does nobody else catch this infectious fever? Sometimes you you risk catching an infectious fever to take care of someone. Also, like that baby is little. That is a little baby. He's like, I mean, that baby looked like maybe four months old. He was tiny. So, you know, little itty bitties like they're means they're so new and fragile. Like Exactly. That baby was just figured out holding his head up like he was. Get that baby out of here. Well, in the book, the baby's born over the course of the time that we... Yeah, exactly. Palmer, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's little. He's, he might even be younger than four months. I'm overestimating. In the movie, he's probably like, you're probably right, but the, in the book, he's a baby baby. I, I think the character is y- younger than four months, but the, the baby, baby actor they is older yeah. than four months. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was thinking back to my own son, Ethan, when he was first born. Like, I mean, he lifted his head the day he was born. So like... Kids wow. Are, look at him go. Dude, it was wild. He lifted his head and my mom was like, oh, okay. Okay, we have it on camera. <laughs> really, we have a video of her being like, um? And I was like, oh, he just. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, he was on her shoulder and he just looked 
lifted his head to look at her and went back down. And she was like, uh. Not supposed to have those muscles formed yet. Yeah, he rolled over at a week and he walked at nine months. My kid is built different. Um, wow. Anyway, yeah. Like, I don't know if I if someone was like, oh, there's a really like if someone in my household had COVID and I had a newborn. I'd be screaming too. You know what I mean? It's like that equivalent of it. Oh, yeah. And then like that makes sense to me. I'm I'm like more. I mean, like if someone in my house had COVID, I would also want to leave, you know? Oh, yeah. Scary. Though I suppose I understand why Eleanor stays. And I guess I understand why Brandon stays. I also love that Mr. Palmer's like, hey, if you want me to stay where it's equal parts, like, can I be of use? And also, please don't make me leave. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But it's so endearing when he does. That was another moment where I was like, wow. It's a very sweet moment. Yeah. And then it gets really serious because once Mrs. Palmer's out of the equation, it gets really, really sad. Yeah. Once our comedic relief is gone. I know. So Marianne is tossing and turning and sweating. And the doctor is like, she's not doing as well as I would like. And Brandon is pacing outside the room and he leans against the wall and Eleanor comes out and he says, "Uh, what can I do? And she's like, you've done enough. And he says, give me an occupation, Miss Dashwood, or I should run mad. The way he's like closing his eyes and he just, the way he says it, give me an occupation, Miss Dashwood, or I shall run mad. It's, oh my God. It's just, I can't. It's so firm. It's like, it's, it's, I need to do this to let off the anguish I am feeling watching her die. He breaks my fucking heart every single time in that part because it is like, not to like make this too dark, but if anyone has ever been in a situation where someone they love is in intense pain or is in danger or distress, and there's kind of nothing you can fucking do for them, but you need to do something. It's like, just, I've been, I've, I've had the situation where I've been like, I need something to do. Give me something to do with my hands because I'm going to start tearing my hair out if I don't <laughs> give them something else to do. And it's, it, I absolutely know what he's feeling in that moment. And it is so, oh God. Cause this, again, this part could be very melodramatic. It's like, girl, you got wet. You're fine. But like, no, she's sick. And back then, medicine is so different. Uh, Yeah, they show the bloodletting. Oh, God, which doesn't seem helpful. And we know that now. Right, we do. (laughs) Yeah. And laudanum also. I think they were giving her laudanum, which laudanum will fuck you right up. (laughs) Laudanum's like kind of, my understanding of laudanum is like, it's like opium, but in a drippy, drippy form. (laughs) Molly's horrified. So they were giving her that for for pain or for what? Yeah, it's it was like their version of like a morphine drip, I think. You know, where they're just like, this will help, maybe. I mean, it helps in a way. Listen, they used to put cocaine in Coca-Cola. That's There was heroin in cough syrup. We've come a long way as a society. Yeah. Especially as a medical society. We figured some things out, but boy, was it was just wild back then. But yeah, like watching her be so sick. Oh, it's awful. Especially because she's so, we've seen her be so vivacious and so alive. And then it's like, oh, God, if she dies, that is, ugh. And I think the way that the movie plays it, it's very good because, like, especially when Eleanor is pleading with her. I was going to say, we're about to get there. I think my note is, if my sister were begging me to get better like that, I'd be healed instantly. Like, I'd be up, like, up and about, because she just acts the shit out of it. But that moment is so hard because it's like, if you don't know the story, I think you might think Marianne might die. Like you genuinely might think it might happen. Well, because they, so this part is the part where, so after um, Eleanor gives Brandon the directive to go get their mother, the doctor says to Eleanor, 
I can't pretend that your sister's condition is not quite serious. You must prepare yourself, Miss Dashwood. And you, and then we get her in the middle of the night, like praying over her sister. And she says, "You you must try. I've tried to bear everything else. I can't bear this. Like you have to try. Don't leave me alone." It's so sad. That moment for me is like that's the film. The film is centered around that scene because she can bear everything else, but she can't bear this. Well, and it just, it really does hammer home how important they are to each other. Because honestly, if it were the other way around and Eleanor were the one in that bed, Marianne would absolutely be doing the same thing. And honestly, I think Marianne would be more Eleanor-like. This is where we see Eleanor being kind of Marianne-like, where she's expressing everything. She's letting it out. And she's also letting people see her in distress, even if she's not fully like, like Brandon doesn't necessarily see her breaking down, but he sees her upset and not just not masking anything. You know, we see kind of the Marianne and Eleanor come out. And I think if the roles were reversed, we would see the Eleanor and Marianne come out and she'd probably be handling shit a little differently. So yeah, it's, it's, it's that moment where it's like, yeah, they are definitely sisters, (laughs) but oh God. It hurts. It's the way she like she gets down and she holds her hands and she like kisses them like as if they're her own hands. And she's just like, don't leave me alone. I'm going to cry. And that his hits that I cried when I watched it last night. Yeah, I think, too, like if you have like a sibling or someone you would kind of consider a sibling like who matters to you on the level like you have a sibling relationship. It's such a completely, it's such a weird relationship, siblings. It's not like, because I feel like we say like, oh, this friend is like my sister. But it's like having an actual sister is such a different relationship. If you have that with someone, the idea of losing them is unfathomable. Because you're not supposed to lose your siblings. In terms of like nature, it's like we're kind of taught we're going to lose our grandparents. We're going to lose our parents. We're going to, you know, we're going to lose people who are older than us. It's kind of like against the laws of nature to lose someone younger than you. It doesn't compute when someone younger than you, especially someone you have literally grown up with. And frankly, because she's the eldest daughter, has helped raise, let's be real, Mm -hmm. Emma Thompson. I mean, this is the scene that definitely got her nominated for Best Actress. It killed me. Yeah, I think the thing about the scene is that also these two sisters have been through so much together. Like, it's hard to remember, but at the start of this film, they lose their father and their home. They both have lost the loves of their lives. They've both uh, lost all their fortunes and their future comforts. They've been betrayed or they think they have been betrayed. And through it all, they had each other. It hurts. So when she says, don't leave me alone, she's like, I, she says, I cannot do without you. They've done all of this together. And even when they fought about this, where it's like, you know, where Marianne had felt very separated from what Eleanor was going through. And Eleanor felt frustrated that Marianne couldn't see her own, past her own nose to see what Eleanor was going through. Like, they've been there for each other and they've been able, they've been free to express that to each other. Who else in each other's lives at this moment do they have that they feel that free to express to? Ah, there's so many layers to who she is almost losing. And it is unfathomable. And it's just like, oh, my God, it hurts so bad to watch the scene because, like, even if you know the story and you're like, she's going to be fine, it's going to be okay, it hurts 
so much. And it is so beautifully acted. And on that note, the next morning. She's fine. (laughs) The next morning, the prayers worked. And Eleanor is like staring out the window. She hears Marianne say, Eleanor. And she goes over. The doctor goes over and feels her forehead. And he smiles. And just the relief that breaks over both of their faces. And then um, they hear the a carriage approaching. And this is where I was like, it's Willoughby. But it was, it's, uh, it is actually... Mrs. Dashwood this time. Fuck off, Willoughby. We cut that entire Willoughby scene. I, I miss the Willoughby scene a little bit. It I think the movie works without it, but, and it, it's a different story a little bit without the Willoughby scene because the Willoughby scene is such a part of the story. It's satisfying in the movie to not see him. Yes, it's much more uplifting to have Brandon and Mrs. Dashwood come in instead. So while Mrs. Dashwood is like hugging Marianne, Marianne sees Brandon standing in the hall and says, Colonel Brandon. And he looks up and she says, thank you. And his face just like (gasps) melts. So here's here's the thing I'm going to say. Yes. Brandon's face when Marianne says, thank you. That is our equivalent of the 2005 Pride and Prejudice hand flex. Uh 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 It is the hand flex of this. His face when he because he brought Mrs. Dashwood in. He's letting the family have their moment. He's closing the door. Brandon is very, he's very ready and very content to be back in the shadows, back in the background. He's like, this is the family moment. I'm going to leave them alone. He's used to not being acknowledged by this woman he adores, right? Not only does she call him by name to get him back in the room. He's in there. He's like, he's in the dark. He leans in and the light hits his face. And his peach cobbler hair lights up in the light. And she says, thank you. And his whole demeanor changed. And it, what's wild is Alan Rickman barely changes in that moment. But everything changes in that moment. It's like he lights up. He does. He just, something lifts off of him. It's like as an audience, we know from now on, it's different between them. Yeah. It's different between them. And he has also gotten to see a positive outcome of this thing that he was so terrified of. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Because he has been through so much trauma and has seen some awful things, right? And he saw what he thought was a parallel. But now he's seeing, you know what? Hey, sometimes people are going to be okay. And... I, this, the healing in that moment. That's the part that makes me cry. I'm going to cry now. It makes me cry every single time. See, I've got, I cried five minutes earlier. I'm like, oh, by this point, I'm like, yes, we're good. We're good. It feels so good, but it's like the relief of it. <laughs> Cause like, I feel like the whole time you're holding your breath and then he finally fucking exhales. And we, it's such a contrast to the, give me a task. Give me something to do where he's like, Oh, thank God she's really okay. And not only that, not only she's okay, but that little bit of him is like, she's seeing me. She saw me. She noticed me. And I think he didn't even register that she registered that he that he did anything for her. And so it's that moment of like, oh, you noticed that? Like, if you, have you ever been thanked for something that you really didn't think anyone noticed or paid attention to? Or like someone kind of gave you your flowers for something where you're like, oh, that's just a thing that I do. Like, you're not used to getting recognition for that. When someone gives it to you, you're like, oh, oh, that's his moment, I think, because he does so much in the background. Like, he's very generous, but he doesn't seek credit. Yeah, which is what makes him so fucking hot. 
it's a little Darcy there where like when he gets the credit, it's like he doesn't quite know how to. He's like, yeah, you're, you're welcome. I don't know what to do with this. But it, it's so genuine and sweet. And yeah, I don't know. We all just need to be a little more like Brandon. Mm hmm. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. And then we cut to we we sure do cut to we just cut right to um so Margaret is like in her little her new treehouse I love Margaret so I love her so much and she's like looking out of her little telescope and she runs down um and we see her run back to the house and she runs past Brandon reading to Marianne and I have to say that the way that he is reading to her and she is captivated by his reading it shows that like she doesn't need someone to be so like dramatic. like dramatic. She just needs someone to like understand what they're saying. And like she is just enthralled with the way he's reading. And it's a throwback to the reading scene before. Marianne, I think in this day and age would be a very good like literary critic. You know, I think she'd be a good at like book reviews. And like she just needs someone who understands the words that they're saying. <laughs> Totally. Meanwhile, inside, Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood are watching them. And Mrs. Dashwood's like, you know, there was always something uh, displeasing in Willoughby's eye. And Eleanor's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That is my mother to a T. She's <laughs> like, I've all, every time someone fucks up, she's like, I always hated them. Every, like, you, you remember, I said it five years ago. And I'm like, all right, Ma. I don't think you did, Mom. <laughs> Love you, Mom. <laughs> she listens to this podcast. But this scene and the scenes later with Brandon accomplish something that I don't think is fully done in the books, which is build the romance between Marion and Brandon. Because the books, they cut off with Marion working on herself. And then we kind of get an epilogue where she falls for Brandon over years. Here, they don't have that luxury of giving us this sort of like, she's going to work on herself. And then years down the line, she and Brandon are going to get together. So instead... 
they they give us these scenes that show, hey, these two are actually a really quietly wonderful match. Yeah. I wrote like a paragraph about Brandon and Marianne in my notes. Because I was, because I know that y'all have talked about their age difference and have kind of, because that is a really controversial thing. I wrote very stream of consciousness. We can totally cut it, by the way, if this is just dribble, but I'll read it. Do, please. What I wrote. I said, I really love the way it's so clear how much Brandon respects Marianne. He understands exactly who she is and has no desire to change or tame her. That is the thing that makes their age difference a lot easier to take for me. If he showed any wish to alter Marianne in any way, it would feel so icky. But because, or no, it feels very clear that she is safe with him. Age differences are always a bit tricky to talk through because on the one hand, this was more acceptable at the time this was written. It's still significant, but at the time it was written, it was a little more okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other, we still can and should be critical of media by today's standards if we are consuming it today. That doesn't mean we have to condemn and reject it. Critical here just means having your brain turn on while you're looking at it and don't let the lens entirely obstruct your view of what's okay and what's not. So we can look at Brandon and Marianne and say, okay, these two seem all right, but that's not the norm. And it shouldn't be something we let set a standard in our minds they are much more of an exception than the rule. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And that was a very articulate way of saying what I've been trying to convey. Thank you, because I stammered. And- <laughs> it was so good. Because I, yeah, I do think like we, we I, I will always call out and critique when age differences are a real problem. Genders aside as well. Yeah. But I think like what's bad often about relationships that are older men and younger women is the power discrepancy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what's weird about this is that he's a very wealthy older man. Yeah. And she is a very young, poor girl. But he consciously cedes his own power in the relationship. Yes. And treats her with so much dignity and so much like an adult that she really does come to her own decisions about him and he never once even tries to manipulate her on what she might be feeling. Like, whereas Willoughby, where they were on a much much closer level, was absolutely manipulating and grooming and trying to kind of make her into, you know, even if he wasn't trying to, like, change her, he was influencing her so much, whereas Brandon is very much letting her be who she is and is very... He's the thing I like about him is that he seems to understand that it is a privilege to know this young lady. Like it's a privilege to be in her life at all. He endeavors to deserve her. Exactly. <laughs> he endeavors to deserve her. Oh, Molly, are you okay? He's never going to stop endeavoring to deserve her because he knows that she's so good. And he, he is going to work for her. He is never going to just be like, I did plenty. Whereas Willoughby would have been, would have been like, oh, I locked that down. I'm done developing. Brandon, 100%. I can see like Marianne bringing out kind of the more playful side of him as time goes by and like getting him to try new things. And like Brandon's going to, you know, he's going to be very supportive of her and let her be who she is. Like it's a very respectful relationship on both their ends, really. But like, especially on where the power could be so out of whack, like he seems very conscious of that. He seems a little ahead of his time. Molly, am I from your face gathering that you, for the first time, you are actually like an active Brandian shipper? Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Yes. Talk to us. Talk to us about it. It's just that it's just like everything that Caro just said. Like he's going to bring her flowers. 
and he's gonna do little well he's gonna just keep endeavoring to deserve her and I love that the play on that and he's meeting her where she's at he's meeting her where she's at when he said it about Willoughby he meant like she will never be he will never actually deserve her and Brandon believes that about himself but in a way that like he's gonna keep trying Brandon seems to understand that relationships are constantly evolving Like, he seems to understand that, like, you don't just get together with someone and that's it and you stay in stasis forever. Like, whereas Willoughby, I think, with Marianne, with Willoughby, if those two got together, it would be hot, hot, passion, hot, and then, like, a year later, that only goes so far. Wickham and Lydia. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, with Brandon, he's more, he seems more aware, and this also is a thing that comes with maturity, Frankly, it, it does come with life experience. This is just sort of a thing that you kind of learn as you go. It does take work and evolving with your partner and it takes understanding who they are. And again, meeting them where they are. That's a lot of the theme of this story is meeting people where they are to understand them and then move forward together. And he's very good at that because he's very empathetic. I've said it before, I've said it again. Uh, Brandon and Marianne as a love story are the definition of love as a journey, not a destination. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of, I think, healing on Brandon's part that is coming from being with her. Because she's bringing out this really, like, it's so cute with him because he's not, he he's doing all these, like, sweet little things that, like, he's reading her sonnets and he's getting her a surprise piano like come on he gets a surprise piano in his <gasps> heart. who could not love him this is the thing about him like so as as someone who and I know as like a lot of us are who to get real again have undergone a lot of trauma in the last couple of years in particular the first time that you genuinely laugh or feel happy after a very long dark tunnel of trauma is almost like it's shocking to the system and it's like, oh, am I allowed to do this? And you can see him feeling like, am I allowed to feel this way? Oh, I'm making myself tear up. Molly! (laughs) Well, that's a very, that's a really common thing. Like, you see this happen with people like, if someone passes away or if they're going through a divorce or they're going through something else really traumatic, it's like, is it okay that I'm having a nice moment? Is it okay that I'm having fun today? Like, yeah, it's a difficult thing to kind of reconcile that, like, yeah, the person that I lost or whatever is would absolutely want me to be happy. But, like, is this okay? And we're seeing the moment where he's realizing, like, it is okay. This is allowed. This is all right. And it's like, mm. um. Also, I just want to say I love the bit in this movie when he gets the piano to them. And the note is something – he says something like uh, in the letter – uh, it took me a while to find one small enough to fit in the parlor. And I'm like, when was he taking measurements of the parlor? <laughs> I like to imagine that he was. He had a, a tape measure under his hat. Yeah, he had like a little, the string. He had his little string and he was like, they, nobody's in the room. Just very quickly <laughs> measuring the room. Like, what's going to fit under this window? Okay. like, But the fact that he took that much consideration to make sure it would fit and also he got the prettiest possible piano and it fits perfectly under that window he's so considerate and he sent music and said maybe you'll learn this by the time I come back and 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 then everyone's like looking at the piano and Margaret goes he must like you very much and Marianne's like this is for all of us but you can see like in her face that she's like he got me a piano 
Oh, wait, we missed something, though, before the piano comes. Oh, yeah, no, there is. There's, uh, first of all, I have to say, I laughed so fucking hard when I read these notes because you accidentally wrote cut Tolenor. <laughs> you wrote what? I said, I said cut Tolenor. <laughs> cut to Eleanor, but you didn't put a space. <laughs> so it's cut Tolenor. <laughs> My girlfriend's head was on my shoulder and she was asleep and I was like sitting there like trying to type with my hands not moving. Oh, so it's the cutest possible reason to have a typo. Yeah. Cut, Cut Tolenor. We get it. You're cute. I love her using the girlfriend as an excuse as if the typos were not rampant when she was deeply single. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. <laughs> this is what I get for trying to type my notes at like 1030 p.m. Um, yes, cut Tolenor. It says, cut Tolenor and Marianne walking. And Marianne points out the spot where she first saw Willoughby. She's like, look, there's where I fell and there's where I saw him. And Eleanor says, yeah, Willoughby's always going to regret you. And Marianne then gets to say it, he wouldn't have been happy if he ended up with her. And this is what I was talking about earlier, I think in maybe in the last episode, where Marianne in this movie gets to make, come to that conclusion on her own. Eleanor doesn't say that to her. She has come to that conclusion because she's had so much time to sit with the fact that he didn't love her enough to pass up 50,000 pounds when he could get it. So she's come to this conclusion on her own that he wouldn't be happy with her and that this is the best possible outcome for her. And Emma Thompson does add in one of the best lines from the book, which is when Eleanor says, do you compare your behavior to his? And she goes, no, I compare it to what I ought to, it ought to have been. I compare it with yours. And it, what is so powerful about this scene to me is that it comes full circle. I think that really in the back half of this movie, you get three scenes that together really solidify what this movie is all about. And it's the scene where they can, Marianne learns about Eleanor's heartbreak and the confrontation there. The scene where Eleanor prays over Marianne's bedside. And then it comes full circle with this, this moment where... Eleanor and Marianne reconcile what happened together. And I think that is the journey that they both needed to go on to move through this really difficult time in their lives. Yeah. There's so much in this in this story. It's so good. We've been talking about this movie for maybe eight hours by this it's point. It's so good. Like, and I could talk about it myself with for probably at least 16. So like it's just so good. And I keep telling people, like, stop thinking that Jane Austen is just rich people having no problems and going to each other's houses. That is not what she is about. This is the sh this is the story that I tell. I'm like, watch this one. Read this one. Because I think I feel like people write Pride and Prejudice off, which they shouldn't. Pride and Prejudice has a lot going on, but I think it's easier to write off. Pride and Prejudice is like, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like the... It's more of a rom-com. It's easier to make a rom-com. It's it's also, it's just the most mainstream successful of the the books. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that the, the chemistry between the two leads is written so palpably. Yeah, and it's also at this point in, in the existence of the world and of media, at this point, it wasn't when it came out, but at this point, it's more formulaic. We have an idea of how it's going to pan out. Exactly. Sense of sensibility, not so much. Right. Yeah. Molly was like, where is this going? I had no idea. So anyway, that scene happens. And then we cut to inside 
Margaret is practicing her French and the servant Thomas comes in and he's like giving them the gossip. And he says, by the way, Mr. Ferris is married. And Margaret goes, but Eleanor. And they're like, shut up, Margaret. I love Margaret. <laughs> the number of times they're like, Margaret, shut the fuck up. I know. And um, he says that Miss Lucy told him and it's really uncomfortable. And he's just going on about the wedding and how he saw them uh, and that they're going to send some cake. And they're like all kind of in a daze, like trying not to make it weird. But Eleanor is just like staring at the table like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, get me out of here. And after he leaves, Eleanor just gets up and walks away. She's like, I got to go the other way. She just bounced. Then the piano thing all happens. By the way, Colonel Brandon's name is Christopher. In this, yes, I Googled it because I was like, it doesn't come up in the books. No, it doesn't. I like Christopher Brandon because it's the same meter as Christopher Robin. And I am a Winnie the Pooh enthusiast. (laughs) Christopher Brandon, new Christopher Robin. That all happens. And then Margaret is sitting outside. Marianne is practicing in the piano and Margaret's doing that thing with grass where you hold it between your thumbs and blow on it to make a whistle. I can't do it. I can't do it either. But she can. No, she can't. She did a little bit. She tried. She tried. She endeavored. It's very sweet though because it's such a child thing to do. It is. It is. And it's such a recognizably kid thing. Yeah. I love, the thing that I love about Margaret in this story, book, movie, either, they let her be a kid. That is such an Emma Thompson thing because the the book really doesn't have a characterization for Margaret. No. Like with Margaret in the book, it's sort of like she's, I mean, she's definitely allowed to be a kid, but in the sense that they don't pay much attention to her. But in the movie, like she has a character. Do you know the song Tonight from West Side Story? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So fun fact about that song. That song was not in the original Broadway production of West Side Story. So that like part later on where they're all prepping for the rumble and they sing that like reprise of tonight that was just the original song and then the movie came out and they wrote the song tonight for the movie because they wanted like a balcony scene uh like they they wanted a song in the balcony scene because the balcony scene was there in the original um and then ever since the movie came out that song has been in every production of west side story because it's great point being that sometimes something is missing from the original and gets added later and is so seamlessly a part of the story that it just becomes the canon. And I feel like Margaret's personality in this movie is so iconic that it has become part of the actual canon of Sense and Sensibility. Completely. And like it also, I think with Margaret having so much personality and being so, you know, delightful and fun. Like I really love Margaret, but The thing that I love about that is that it also demonstrates what a good mom Mrs. Dashwood is. Oh, she's so great. Like, she's a great mom. Like, she lets her girls be who they are. And you see that with Marianne and Eleanor, and you definitely see that with Margaret. Like, she's definitely, like, Margaret's kind of a rough and tumble little girl. Like, she's kind of rolling around and playing, and, like, everyone encourages, the people we're supposed to root for encourage Margaret to be herself. Yes. Yes. And, like, I don't know, as a parent, big fan yeah like I love that and like because my whole parenting philosophy is my child will tell me who he is I'm there to guide him and help him but he gets to tell me who he is not the other way around so I love that you kind of see a little bit of that parenting philosophy in this like it's just really sweet and it's like a small thing and it's done kind of off to the side but it's done in a way that's it explains how Marianne and Eleanor came to be and it explains like Like, it just, the warmth of the family is so 
obvious because of that. Speaking of people who root for Margaret. <laughs> yes. So Margaret sees that uh, there's a horse running coming towards them. And um, Mrs. Dashwood is like, oh, it must be Colonel Brandon. Like, you're going to show him your new song, Marianne. And, and Eleanor is looking and she's like, uh, I don't think that is the Colonel. And they're like, of course it is. And then Margaret goes, Edward! And runs towards him and it's Edward! The best trope in Jane Austen movies is the flurry when you realize a man is coming. Yes! Yes, Mrs. Dashwood is like, we must be calm. The 2005 movie of Pride and Prejudice does that extremely well. And like, this movie is a very close second. Yes. Oh, yeah. They just, and they all sit down and they're like, okay, we're going to sew. I love that Mrs. Dashwood literally says, "We okay, calm, we must be calm. And everyone's like, okay. Calm means sewing. I mean, honestly, as someone who cross-stitches, yes. Cross-stitches so good. And then he comes in and Edward says Miss Dashwood and he kind of chokes on it. He he like says, he says hello to all of them. And then he says Miss Dashwood last and he kind of chokes on it. And he asks if they're all well. And they're like, uh. Margaret says. And Margaret says, well, we have been enjoying very fine weather. Which is a callback to earlier in the movie when Mrs. Dashwood says, Margaret, if you can't think of anything uh, appropriate to say, you will keep, reserve your remarks to the weather. And she cannot think of anything appropriate to say. So she's like, so weather. The weather's been really nice. And then Marianne nudges her and she's like, Margaret. She's like, what? It has. It has. And then he says, oh, yes, um, the roads have been very dry. <laughs> In the most Hugh Grant way possible. The most Hugh Grant way possible. Where he's just sort of like, he's like, I got to lean in like I'm an ASMR person. Like, he's just like, Oh, yes, the, the, the roads have been very, very dry. The amount of flop this man brings to this character, like just like flop. From the hair to the toes. The man, flop. He is flop. Floppy flop. I do appreciate him as a stutterer. I do have a stutter that I have worked very hard over many years to kind of tame. It comes out when I am very tired or very nervous. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Hugh Grant for playing characters that stammer a lot. <laughs> because, like, Edward in this moment where he's kind of stammering and stuttering and he's a little like... <laughs> oh, right, like, right, right. I'm like, yeah, man, same. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, I've been around pretty girls, too. I know the feeling. <laughs> I get it. I get it, dude. Uh, yeah, he's so nervous. And then Mrs. Dashwood goes, I must wish you great joy. And he's like, oh, uh... Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> He's so confused this whole scene. And he sits down. He accidentally sits on some embroidery and he like pulls it out from under his butt. I forgot that until I watched it again today. It's so perfect. He's just like so awkward. And Marianne is like, oh, I hope you've left Mrs. Ferris in good health. And he's like mulling it over. And he's like, uh-huh. And then Mrs. Dashwood asks if Mrs. Ferris is at the new parish. And he's like, um... No, my mother is in town. And he, you can see him like starting to kind of it dawning on him. And she's like, no, I meant Mrs. Edward Fares. And the relief that washes over his whole face. He's like, oh, Perhaps you you mean my brother. You mean my, bro my brother. You, you haven't heard my brother. Also, like, I do love that we kind of get the foreshadowing of that at the ball. Because like their chemistry was good. The man is the most ridiculous. Robert is so annoying. Just like, ladies. Like, why is his face like that? That was so good. Wait, do it again. Do it again. Ladies. <laughs> it's like, oh, bro. When we were watching it, Mike paused the movie and went, this poor man. They they made us compare him to Hugh Grant. Yeah. But also, like, 
he and Lucy with their little gossipy moment, I'm like, oh, they'll be fine. See, that's what's interesting here because I think it kind of undercuts the strategy, the Lucy Steele strategy, because what is impressive about her as a character in the book is that she is working this game on Edward. She's working this game. Then her sister messes it up and she just 180s to his brother and the brother hated her. And she didn't know him. And that is crazy. That is, it is. so crazy. It's wild. Like, that's its own story. Like, that's its own book. Whereas here, it's kind of softened. It's kind of like, oh, they had actual chemistry. So she's kind of a gold digger. But she also found the one she was better suited for. Yeah. Like, here, it's a little more like, oh, okay, Lucy. Okay. Okay. I see you. It's a bit more fortuitous. There's this sort of trend in, like, Jane Austen adaptations where, like, a sister gets cut. Like, we see it in 2005, Pride and Prejudice. Like, who's Louisa? R.A.P. Louisa. Bye, Louisa. Sorry, babe. Um, yeah, she's gone. But, like, in this, you know, Lucy's sister is gone. And so it's that thing where it's like, okay, if you're left with just the one character, how do you communicate all the shit that happened? And you need to soften Lucy a bit. You need to make her a bit more romantic. You mean you need to make this plan a little bit less conniving. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, she's just another antagonist. And we already have a couple of those. It's like, this cannot be a movie full of antagonists. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah. It's too much. God, this scene, though, where Edward's like, uh, heh, 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 brother, eh, heh, not me. Single, single, single. All the single Edwards. All the single Edwards. All the single Edwards. <laughs> yeah, so he explains the whole thing. He's like, yeah, she, uh, he's like playing with these sheep on the mantle. And he's like, um, my, uh, yeah, I, I received a letter from, from Lucy explaining that her, she had transferred her affections uh, uh, onto uh, my brother. And, you know, seeing as my situation, I thought it would be prudent to release her from our agreement. And then Eleanor just goes, then you are not married. And he just goes, uh, no. And then she just get that out of your system, baby girl. She just bursts into tears uncontrollably. She so. needed to have that cry for like a year. Yes. We were watching the movie and Mike just goes, Eleanor, chill. But don't, though, no, baby girl. No, Eleanor, feel. Feel your feelings, girl. We love seeing an eldest daughter get to express her feelings and also win the story. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, does she. And so the rest of the family, when she bursts into tears, they get up and run away. I have to say, gotta hand it to Edward for this does not phase him in the least. He is like, on a mission, he says to her, you know, he has to tell her he's loved her all along. He says, he says, he says, my heart is, uh, what I put it down here somewhere. Um, uh, uh, oh God. <laughs> For like a half a second, I thought that was part of it. I was like, I don't remember him saying. No, he doesn't. He says, oh, here it is. He says, I have come here to profess now that I'm at liberty to do so that my heart is and always will be yours. And then she just looks up with tears in her eyes and she's smiling. Starts laughing and like, oh. and then And then outside, Margaret's looking at them through her telescope on her, her thing. And, and they're like, down. He's kneeling down, which is another callback to her in the church saying, I wonder if he'll kneel down. They always kneel down. Always uh, kneel down. I love Cut her. to period piece wedding. To a wedding. Okay, we got to talk about this wedding outfits because Marianne and Brandon look like money. They sure do. Can we just have a moment where we just appreciate Alan Rickman in the dress uniform? <laughs> I was not okay at all. And, like, Marianne looks like a bride. Like, she's got the veil and the white and the gold and the 
jewelry and she looks like she looks like a fairy tale she looks incredible like she looks beautiful and then i love how like subdued by comparison eleanor and edward are yeah they're just like wearing their cute little clothes what was great about this is that you cut from this beautiful proposal to a wedding and you assume that you're seeing i actually did laugh out loud because i was like oh that's how they're covering the time jump they're just jumping straight to the next one. But seeing Eleanor and Edward come out behind them in their like everyday clothes and Edward just like kisses her hand. They're just so happy. Like Brandon is significantly wealthier. Mm-hmm. He is literally Edward's employer at this point. You know, so like that's you're you're at your it's weird. You're at your boss's and your in-laws wedding and you're also getting married at it. That's a lot. Well, I think that they are already married at this point. Are they? I thought it was a double wedding. It's actually really not clear. I always assumed it was a double wedding, but then... I did not get double wedding vibes. Maybe it's not. Molly made me second guess that. And also in the book, it's several years after Eleanor and Edward that Brandon and Marianne get married. They were giving me vibes of like married for a couple years now and maybe have a kid. Because there were kids running around. Like, that was the vibes that I got. It's funny because I just, I think, I feel like I always just assumed it was a double wedding and I've never really put more thought into it. See, that's the thing. I, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, oh, listeners, if you guys know the answers, like, obviously we can Wikipedia it, but just DM us. Yeah, DM us. We love getting your DMs. My favorite thing in the world is when people say, I wasn't expecting you to answer. And I'm like, I read every single DM. <laughs> we do. We do. And then I do have to say, I like the idea that it's a few years later because it makes the Willoughby thing even sadder. Yeah, because then they're like, they're having this beautiful wedding. He's like watching from the hillside on his horse by himself, like looking brooding. My note is in all caps, ha ha, suck it, Willoughby. And then I also wrote, Fanny looks miserable. Good. Yep, Fanny looks miserable. The music that's playing in the background here is is softly, softly. It is. And it also has very sigh no more, lady sigh no more because it's Patrick Doyle. But like I did write, hey, let's bring back throwing money at weddings. I could get into that. Not that I'm going to a few weddings soon, but uh, as a broke. I was so confused what that was. He's just throwing money into the crowd. Like instead of rice. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is that at some weddings, like, wealthier folks would throw some coins like for luck mm, kind of like throwing the bouquet yeah and kind of like spreading the wealth like he's like eh, he's got it to spare he could throw some coins at the kids but i loved that he's throwing the money and they show fanny and john scrambling for the coins and i'm like the thing is that ultimately despite this being like a story about sisters by the sea and a love story between family it is also a class commentary and those two are gonna stay greedy and unhappy forever oh yeah that's the end of the movie molly wait we need a moment i want some party music ram so everyone just do a little all right great that brings us to the final study questions and we are just doing the standbys this time the first one is favorite line delivery viper in my bosom (laughs) viper in my bosom or 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 Mrs. Bunting! Yes, yes, the same energy of Viper in my bosom. So I have several options. I'll do this one because I didn't mention it yet, and I think I read a bunch of the other ones out loud already. So it's raining, and Mrs. Palmer is sitting, and she goes, she'll be wet through when she returns. And Mr. Palmer goes, thank you for pointing that out, my dear. It's so good. (laughs) So can I just say, my mom and I watch this movie together every so often. Like, it's just a thing we do. Aw. 
we can recite every one of Mr. Palmer's lines with him. Perfect. If I like early one morning, I remember I was in high school and early one morning I got up and it was pouring rain. Right. And it's like six in the morning. It's still dark outside. It's pouring rain. And I went, I think it's raining. And mom went, yes, thank you for pointing that out. Perfect line. Perfect I was line. like, wow. Amazing. Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, rep our boy, Colonel Brandon, and I am going to go with give me an occupation, Miss Dashwood, or I shall run mad. And I knew you were going to pick that one. Because that line, like, duh, oh, it's just. <sighs> All right. Um, let's go with notable differences between the book and the movie. For me, I think I, I want to give it to Marianne learning about Willoughby, his past, and then like he, knowing that he loves her sooner because I, I really do appreciate the growth that that allows her to go through and it allows her to make her own decisions there. Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, like the biggest thing that I notice in this half of the movie is the absent, like the fact that Lucy is the only steal we get. It doesn't change the essential, like it doesn't change the basic story that much, but it changes how we get it. Yes. Mm -hmm. In a really significant way. And it's like, it's not better or worse, but it's just so different that it's like, it's hard to compare like, it's not like it, it stops becoming like a one-to-one comparison. Yes. I am going to jump off of that and also say a Lucy Steele one because um, for me, it's that Lucy and Robert were foreshadowed as having chemistry and love between the two of them before they get together because I think that it's a little bit less of her being like a total genius and a little bit more of her finding her better match. Yep. Um, I also will throw in the ring the um the scenes with uh, Marianne and Brandon kind of building towards each other, which I think are a beautiful addition. All right, worst worst part of the movie in this part. It's so hard because this last half is just like chef's kiss. They're all so good. It's all so good. I think about this worst part. Me too. Oh my god, the dog, the poor dog. <laughs> the dog. Oh yeah, I just worry about him. The dog theoretically being wrecked. What is the dog's name? Does the dog, can I give the dog a name? Please do. Yeah, I don't know if it has a name, but please name it. I'm going to name the dog Archibald Bartholomew Codsworth III. That makes complete sense to me. See, I was going to go with Amelia Earhart because of the flying through the air. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking like Archie Barty Cods three. Love it. Like ABC, yeah. Oh, I like that. Um, But God, worst part of this part. The cut to the wedding for me is a little bit on the nose. It's like, yes, you thought you were getting one wedding and here you are getting this one. And it was just so sudden. Like, yes, we do get to see a little bit of love building between them, but I would have even liked to see more. And I was upset with that in the book, too. I was like, ah, well, I don't want to play Where Are They Now. I want to get to see it. But I ended up appreciating it but I still would have maybe liked it to be a little less on the nose. That actually might be what I actually say. It's hard because it's also It's so good. And even with it being sudden, it it just makes sense. Like we knew where it was going. We've rooted for them from the start. We knew it was going to happen. But like, I think I might have liked to see one more scene. And it could literally just have been the sisters like preparing for the wedding yeah like oh okay i'm gonna date myself a little bit by saying this but in the movie my big fat greek wedding 
perfect movie. No notes. Flawless. I love that movie. It's just my family, but Greek. But there is a scene in it where it's right before the main character's wedding. And there's a scene where her mom and her grandmother, who speaks no English whatsoever, her grandmother is hilarious. Her grandmother just yells in Greek and runs away the entire movie. Um, But she comes in and she gives her a little, um, like she shows her a picture of herself on her wedding day, I think it was, and and gives her a, a little, like a flower crown that she wore. And the, the three generations of women just like, I'm going to get choked up. They just like have this moment that's really sweet. And that would have been a really nice thing to see, kind of like a, a, a pre-wedding kind of moment between the women, because so much of this story is about the relationship with these women and the family that they have, despite all the ways that their family has been thrown around. I would have loved to see a little moment like that just to sort of strengthen the thing that we we still know is is at the core of this and that we still feel throughout the entire movie but i i would love i would have loved just like a moment with like mom like mrs dashwood to get to have a little a little extra moment to like send her daughters off and like margaret to send her older sisters off I'm a sentimental little fool, and I would just have loved that. Now I know what I'm missing, and I'm sad about it. <laughs> Don't worry, Molly. We'll watch my big fat group later. Okay, great. Favorite moment in the movie? Best part? Oh, God. There's so many. <laughs> this last third of the movie is like the A-plus home run of the movie. It really is. Yeah. In this section. Well, you know what? Favorite part, like, overall, in the whole everything, either Mr. Palmer as a creation or Eleanor's scene with Marianne dying. So when I was, when Molly asked like, hey, we want to have you back on and we want to talk about sense of sensibility. Would you rather talk about the first half of the movie or the second half? I said specifically, I want to talk about the second half because I need to talk about the moment when Marianne acknowledges Brandon. So I feel like that has to be my moment because it is the hand flex it is the hand flex, yeah. but with, with puppy dog eyes and a moment of understanding instead. Ugh. It's just such a gentle, it's subtle in some ways. It's obvious, but so much of what the, the weight of what is happening in that moment is subtle. Like we get it on the level of like, oh, she finally sees him. But like the amount of healing that happens for him in that moment for a million different reasons is so important. <laughs> and he just, Alan Rickman though. Alan Rickman though is like the whole. Alan Rickman though. The whole thing. I have to say for me, it's probably the the Eleanor speech by Marianne's bedside, but it also could be for me very specifically the moment of confrontation between Marion and Eleanor, where Marion goes to touch her face and goes, where is your heart, Eleanor? And she just flings her hands away and walks away. That's a close second for me. It's the most aggressive Eleanor is. It's because she is this close to losing it. Yeah. Like this close. And she she needs to get out of that situation where she's going to share her emotions and her sister's going to bring it out in her. And she's like, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I have to keep that in. She is at the end of her tether. Exactly. 
And that's that's why I have sympathy for Marianne in that scene is because she's like she's reaching out and she's saying talk to me and she's then, trying. And then Eleanor just goes absolutely not. I'm not saying the thing. And it's it's the brilliance and subtlety in Emma Thompson's performance there that really drive that home. It's also just it's a really good example of what happens when two people have really different communication styles and neither are really fully understanding what the other needs. And it's like no one's right and no one's wrong. All they have to do is grow towards each other because it's a sister's tale. One is sense and one is sensibility. And on that note, who wins this movie? Eleanor. Eleanor. Actually, I'm going to say Brandon wins this movie. I'm specifically going to say Emma Thompson wins this movie. True. I was going to say either Eleanor wins the movie or Kate Winslet because she just like gives Marianne so much uh, depth that. But yeah. She does, though. She's really good. Let's be clear. I think Kate Winslet's performance rivals Emma Thompson's. They, it's hard to pick who is better. I can't imagine, like, it's the th- with Marianne, again, it's like in the hands of a lesser actor would be a disaster. Because, like, especially against Emma Thompson, like, you need someone who can hold their own. And Kate Winslet, she holds her own from the, from the get, from the moment that she's like, you need to play another song. And she just stares her down while changing her music. And plays the most mournful dirge you've ever heard. It's so good. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be fine. I think that's a very fair get. I say Emma Thompson just because. Because she did write the thing. Yeah, she, it's because she wrote the thing. Because her performance is beautiful. We discussed earlier that she is a little old to play Eleanor. But we accept it because she's Emma Thompson. Yeah. Right. But for me, it's like the the chemistry between like her casting decisions with Ang Lee. Ang Lee's flawless directing on the project. And Eleanor's. Eleanor's Emma Thompson's writing of 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 a text that is a gorgeous and well-known book but the, a book that had a hard time I think getting to the screen to be as good as it is and she she just takes it and she puts it on the screen in the 1990s in a way that really spoke to people and it sounds like Carol's in the same boat as me this movie is what made me an Austin fan yeah yeah because it I I saw this before I saw Pride and Prejudice same same. This is one of the first movies I ever watched. Yeah, I remember watching this. This was one that I watched with my mom. And I remember we stayed up and we talked about it for like like an hour and a half after we watched it. We just analyzed the hell out of it. Kind of like we're doing now. The thing, too, that I think is really great about this adaptation. And I will say, I think also this is where the, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice specifically does really well. And this is why I think... If you like one, you'll probably like the other. It translates really well to a modern audience. More so, I think, than than like the miniseries, which I think is very, very, very good. But I think the miniseries is made for people who know and love the book and know and love the story and understand the time period. Whereas these movies are made for people who maybe, like it's made for people who know and love the story. But if you don't have a, like more than a cursory knowledge of like, uh, it's like vaguely 18 something or other like you still can follow and get it and understand and enjoy it um whereas i think a lot of the the miniseries and more of the like kind of bbc <laughs> adaptations because they think their audience is more sophisticated which is fair because probably you know, those are adapted in a way that is more for like fans of the book the book by which i mean also the language the movies are made more for people who are fans of the story, which means we can play with it. And like, Molly, you reference Harry Potter a lot. And so I'll, I'll say this in like, I think the first two movies are good adaptations and the third movie is a better movie. 
it's like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this concludes our discussion of this movie. Molly, before we go, I'm going to ask you to give your closing thoughts on this movie. Honestly, like, maybe I like it better than the book. Ooh. I just, I liked it so much. I uh, I had a great time. It, I feel like it gave a lot of new depth to the characters that I think might have, I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not saying it was lacking in the book. It just gave it, like Kara was just saying, it translates really well for a modern audience because while I actually, I would, I would say that it keeps, that the language of, of this movie actually, um, kind of contrary to what you're saying, feels very true to the book. And for me, it, it almost gives the same vibes as like the BBC miniseries. But what they do is humanize the characters so much because the cast is so good that it does make it really understandable. It's like how we were talking about Emma Thompson with Shakespeare. Like she can make Shakespeare accessible to modern people. Yeah. Same thing with this movie and and Austin. So I I just really really loved it. Um and and I'm I'm really happy that we watched it. Yay. I'm so thrilled. So thrilled to share this. So listeners, for next episode you are probably wondering, what are these crazy girls going to be listening to, watch, and reading? Uh, the answer is that after many, many requests, but not because of the many requests, this was going to happen anyway, but <laughs> I want you all to know that we are pleased to be watching the 2008 BBC miniseries version of Sense and Sensibility next. Very exciting, and Molly can finally find out who Dan Stevens is because she has no idea. <laughs> Yeah, well, my image of Dan Stevens is, is I, I'm picturing like a middle-aged bald man with glasses. So like, I don't know. Perfect. Like, that's Perfect. what I'm don't, picturing. Don't, Caro, say nothing. Say nothing. You you nailed it. Good job, Molly. <laughs> Your name is Dan Stevens. Like, what do you expect? So until we hang out with Dan Stevens, we're going to say goodbye. Caro, would you like to plug anything before we go here? Follow my Twitter I'll plug things. We'll we'll put your we'll put your socials in the episode description. But until next time, stay proper and fuck Fanny and fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny, what a way to end it. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.